All right, everybody, thank you for tuning in. And in today's episode, I'll make a really big effort to not act like a complete fanboy and annoy the hell out of everybody because I will have the urge to do so because I'm talking to someone who I really wanted to talk to for a long time because he has preached more messages about sustainability with our training and nutrition, being smart and training for the long term, not just for what's going to happen next week, than most other professionals in the field. And this person is Jeff Alberts from the Team 3D Muscle Journey. And we are going to talk about a lot of cool stuff with Jeff. And first of all, I really want to thank you, Jeff, for taking the time. And my first question to you is not just in the sense of how this question is most often asked in interviews, which is kind of the cliche way of just uh, kickstarting things, but I am genuinely interested considering some recent life events that have happened to you. Um, how are you? <laughs> well, first of all, thanks for having me on the show. Um, I really do appreciate that. Um, but yeah, um, I'm actually doing really good. Um, you know, just to give some context, um, maybe why you're asking the question, I basically um, ended a, a contest prep prematurely. Um, it was just a, a basically like a too long, too too long of a process for me. It was like the last couple of years I've been. I would say 80 to 90% in a deficit trying to, you know, get to elite level conditioning. And it just, in a nutshell, really wasn't coming to fruition. And you can say just physically, mentally, emotionally, it was uh, starting to be a bit much on me. So I decided to pull the plug on it. And now that I'm about six weeks removed from that, um, I'm feeling so much better. And of course, you know, eating more food, um, makes a world of difference. And uh, so just, you know, overall energy, um, my overall happiness is just, you know, so much better now. And a lot of aches and pains that I was dealing with uh, during that, that prep, um, they're being alleviated now. And I, and I attribute that just to, you know, getting out of that deficit. So yeah, I'm going to be happier right now, actually. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, I mean, I guess just to give people some context, I mean, essentially, you've been dieting for two years. So um, so maybe let's just get this out of the way. How is it like to essentially be in a dieted state and not as an obese person, but as someone trying to get from a lean-ish physique to a very lean physique, doing that for essentially two years? I mean, how, how does that affect someone mentally and, and how does the internal dialogue develop over this period when someone is going through something like this? Yeah, it's, um, you know, in my, in my past, uh, past preps, let's say, you know, I've I've always kind of ventured on a longer preps um, just because I, I prefer to, you know, strip the body fat off in a more conservative fashion. And I just think that uh, the end product, you know, tends to be better uh, when you when you go on a little bit of the conservative side. So that was kind of the game plan going into it. And, um, you know, the, the plan was to, you know, get on stage in, in 2017, which it would have been roughly about, you know, a, you know, about a year long process, which is pretty typical for me. Um, but things just started to kind of, uh, they were struggling a little bit, I would just say, just because I was picking up uh, aches and pains and injuries that I've never really uh, kind of experienced in the past. Like I've experienced some injury, but nothing as much as this the last couple of years. Um, and I think just, you know, my, my age uh, started to play a little bit of a factor. Um, training age definitely playing probably a little more of a factor than my actual age because I've, you know, been lifting weights for now like 32 years. So that definitely takes its toll on the body. Um, so it's just a little bit of a struggle, um, you know, physically and, you know, trying to, you know, strip, not to say that I wasn't in good shape because, you know, I was in really, really good shape um, there towards the end. But to get off, you know, the last five pounds that I needed to take off to, you know, take it to the extreme level. Um, it was in a sense, like, I just felt like my, I was a get going like a, an uphill battle. Like my body was just 
basically kind of fighting me tooth and nail. And, um, you know, I ended up just running out of time because uh, the contest season in 2017 was uh, winding down. I literally didn't have uh, a show to kind of gravitate towards. I just ran out of time. So, um, you know, of course, I'm a very driven person and I don't like to fail. And I kind of deem that as a failure. Uh, but like you mentioned, you know, I did learn a lot about myself going through the process. You know, I had picked up some really good behaviors through the process that I definitely can carry over, you know, uh, for the long haul or for the long term, you know, once uh, my bodybuilding career is over as far as like, hand, you know, maintaining a, an ideal body weight. Uh, but yeah, just, you know, just not getting on stage. I just kind of saw it as a failure. So I was just like, okay, let me. Let me take a couple months away from from dieting. So I took the month of November, December, kind of just stayed at maintenance for a while. And January rolled around. I'm like, okay, I feel pretty decent enough. Let's try to uh, try to do this contest prep thing again. Um, so I dived in again. And um, I would say, you know, once I get into the month of March, things started to get rough again. Um, I ended up getting sick. Um, so I lost about a week of training. And then I tried to recoup after that, came back for a couple of weeks, things were going well again. And then uh, at the end of March, I got sick again. And that time I got, uh, I was I was pretty, pretty, I was sick, let's just say I was under the weather quite a bit. Um, and I was out of the gym for two weeks. It really kind of took its toll on me. Uh, so coming back after that, um, I was about a week into the prep again and things just weren't really looking the way I needed it to look like my physique was on the flatter side. Um, I was trying to regain my strength, my strength and all those types of things like my performance in the weight room was down. Um, so it was I just knew that it was going to be uh, just a uphill battle if I was going to finish that thing out. So as hard as the decision it was, you know, because I am, a, again, a very driven person, don't like to fail. Um, I decided to pull the plug for good. Uh, but I can say, again, now, six weeks later, it was definitely the best decision that I could make and uh, feel so much better now. So like you said, it was just like a huge learning experience for me. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people who followed your journey, like I have to admit that I was one of those people who uh, because I was following your journey pretty closely, and when I heard that you aborted the prep, my first thought was, "Damn it! Like, I've been I, I would have just battled myself through because I've been doing this for so long. So you know, let's not let all the work go to waste, so to speak." But then I think that all of us who have that kind of thought process, we have to show some more humility because you're someone who have certainly done slow preps, fast preps. Like you don't have a problem battling yourself through some crazy stuff if needed. So if you're making that call, we can be pretty sure that that's the right decision. But I'm curious that in your head, how did this process unfold? Like when you started to feel like, okay, probably there, this is the wise thing to do to quit this prep. Was there sort of a period of denial, sort of a time period when you were trying to convince yourself that maybe you should still follow through with this whole thing because you've been documenting your journey. So, or you were afraid of, you know, embarrassment or something like that. Yeah, that's a good point there. So, you, you know, being a, a 3D muscle journey coach, you know, being out in the public like that, you know, there's, I would say there is some high expectations there. Uh, so I guess that, you know, that was part of it. Like I kind of in the back of my mind, I'm like, well, if I, if I stop this prep, you know, a lot of people are watching, you know, and, and how are they going to view it? And how is that going to look upon myself? How is that going to look upon um, the rest of the coaches at 3D Muscle Journey? Um, of course, I thought about my family, too. You know, how is it going to reflect on them? Um, but at the end of the day, you know, I think, you know, being in the sport for, you know, over 30 years and, you know, the track record kind of speaks for itself. So I knew, um, yeah, it, it kind of I don't want to let those people down, but I also know that, um, you know, 
just what we've built over the years with 3D Muscle Journey and as far as my own personal track record, that kind of speaks for itself and kind of outweighs, you know, just, you know, one prep where, you know, basically I had to uh, basically stop and put it on hold. And, you know, I think, you know, when I step back and look at the big picture, like I knew like if I was to just try to push through, um, gauging by my previous experience on stage like i was on a very high level so i you know i kind of that's the standard that i was shooting for so anything less than that to me it's just like it kind of isn't worth uh the struggle so and i knew like if i was just pushed through that uh, the end product just wasn't going to be close to where i've been in the past so i knew like okay i'm going to end up spending the next six months or so uh battling on getting on stage not being at my best um, and then, you know, we always have to recover from a contest prep, you know, meaning, you know, there, you know, physical, mental and emotional trauma that goes that you go through during a prep. So I knew if I was to just push through, like I'm looking at a year uh, before I'm actually progressing again, you know, in a sense of like, oh, OK, I'm back in the gym trying to build muscle here. Like that's a year away. So I said, you know what, it makes more sense for me to not waste the next six months shooting for something that's really not going to happen um, and just get started on uh, getting healthy again and making progress again and then coming back at a later date you know where the inv the environment like my prep environment will be far superior than it is now so again it was a it was a hard decision to make but at the same time it was not a, i wouldn't say easy but it was a, it was a smarter decision and uh you know with the experience level as an athlete experience level as a coach you know i've, I've seen other athletes in this situation before and you know that's what i would tell my athletes hey you know we, we need to put this prep aside and, and just get you back in the gym you know being progressive and, and getting you into a, a better environment as far as a healthy environment and then you know try again at a later date so that's kind of like the internal processes that was, you know, going through my mind. And, you know, at the end of the day, I, you know, all, all the rest of my teammates and uh, my family, I know they're, they're pretty proud of me. So, um, so yeah, I've kind of like let go of that thought of like, you know, there might be some disappointment there. Yeah. And I think that this comes back to one of your mantras that I'm trying to keep in mind for myself. Although of course I still have a pretty hard time uh, actually living by that rule in practice, which is, uh, experience cures insecurity, which I think is a really cool little soundbite to keep in mind for all of us uh, lifters, however competitive or just recreational we are. Um, but another question I definitely wanted to ask you is now you being in this game for, you know, 30 plus years and you talked a lot about how you're battling with aches and pains and minor flare-ups here and there. And you met, you did a pretty good job at keeping those at a minimum over your training journey. But do you think that this is something that we just need to accept as lifters and this will inevitably come as part of the game if we are in the lifting game for long enough or if we apply some of the smart, more conservative strategies as a lifter, which you now are practicing but maybe didn't practice earlier, then these injuries, minor injuries, aches and pains could be avoided altogether? I think, um, you know, it's it's really hard to kind of predict, um, but I think it's like... I think injuries and aches and pains too. I think it's very individual because obviously some people uh, have a higher tolerance than others. But as far as like me personally, like my my journey, um, my training philosophy, like when I first started, because I started way back when I was 14 years old, I didn't really have any any knowledge whatsoever. I was just, hey, you know, let me just lift some weights. I was a, always been a hard worker, uh, so I've always trained hard. Uh, but my first real um, introduction to like a training philosophy. Um, was in the early 90s um, after I had been training about six years or so 
And uh, the philosophy was, uh, you know, Mike Mincer, Dorian Yates's, you know, high intensity training, like low volume, but high intensity. So I gravitated towards that philosophy because I did see some some good progress with it. And I think, you know, being that I was pretty young um, and I was uh, you know being influenced uh, by a gentleman that I, that I was training with, um, it kind of just ingrained like a black and white type of thinking like okay here's this 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 style of training it's worked really well so therefore this must be the answer this is the way to train so um, I was really kind of closed-minded as well so it was just I had a very black and white mentality for many years and I trained with this this philosophy this style all the way up until my mid to late 30s um, and again I made made good progress I was you know winning shows so it was just like you know the winning kind of further uh, just kind of just verifies in my mind, hey, what I'm doing is working. This is the way. Uh, but it wasn't until I met the other coaches here at 3D Muscle Journey um, in my late 30s where they started to introduce me to to other ways uh, of training, other styles like, you know, hey, a little more volume, less intensity, things like that. And I started to notice, hey, I'm actually making even better progress um, by tr by incorporating other styles. And I think what they, you know, in a nutshell really taught me to do was to be more open-minded, to be more humble, to learn uh, other tools. Because basically the way I see things now is like, there's no right or wrong in bodybuilding. Like there's, the way I see it is like, there's a toolbox, you have a bunch of tools in your toolbox and it's a matter of knowing what tool to use at any given point. So a lot of context is, is needed. Um, but yeah, as far as the the aches and pains, um, I, I would just say that I was really lucky <laughs> through those through those uh, high intensity training years that I really didn't sustain any major injuries. Um, so I, I would say a little bit of luck, but I would say what really kind of kept me healthy through those years um, was the fact that uh, there was plenty of recovery. You know, when you're training with such high intensity like that, like taking everything to failure and sometimes beyond failure, um, you need recovery. And that was one thing I was smart about was I was, you know, never trained more than four days a week. So I was always having at least three days of recovery to kind of, you know, make sure that I was you know, being well recovered. Um, and I also attribute that uh, I always kind of had a um, emphasis on my exercise form. And I think that's kept me relatively safe, you know, all these years. Um, and it's, it's kind of funny now is that, you know, the one major injury that I did sustain was in 2013. I had a calf tear. Um, and it was just one of those, I would just call it a, a freak accident where, you know, form was good. Um, I will say the weight was really heavy though. Um, and it was just one of those days where my, my calf just said, Hey, this isn't going to happen today. And it tore. Uh, but outside of that, it's just been, you know, slight strains like lower. I've had a couple of lower back strains the last couple of years. Um, I had a piriformis issue, um, knees been bothering me, my hip, shoulder, and I think it's just more of the accumulation of the wear and tear because, you know, factor, you know, I've been training, like I said, 32 years and it's been consistent training. It hasn't been, oh, you know, there's been a couple of years there where I only trained three months out of the year. No, it's the entire 32 years. I've been really consistent and I've trained hard throughout those 32 years. So I just think like, um, you know, when you buy a brand new car, you know, when you start getting a lot of mileage put on it. Um, you know, things start to wear and tear on it. You know, they, it, things start to break. So I think I'm just getting to a point now where um, I have to, you know, be even smarter with my training and pay even closer attention to what my body is telling me. So um, that's a, a, an ongoing learning process, you know, now that I'm, you know, going to be 47 next year. So it's like I got to really try to stay in tune with, with, with what my body's telling me and to be um, super, super patient and not try to, um, you know, jump the gun. Yeah, and I think that uh, there are always two sides of being open-minded, and one is to be open-minded to new ideas, but the other one is to not let 
the theoretical optimum or what other experts say should work in theory overhaul what you experience with yourself and being able to accept that you may respond to something differently than what the current state of the evidence states and the reason i'm saying that is because i've seen your training footage and i've seen your training logs and it's pretty apparent that you're responding to a pretty low amount of volume compared to what the current state of evidence says should be optimum for an advanced lifter. So if we listen to someone like an Eric Helms, who is obviously a top of the food chain scientist and of course is one of your teammates, uh, he would say that 10 plus sets is probably what's going to be optimal for someone like you, who is an advanced lifter, obviously. But your training is, I believe, is actually lower than this in volume and even in frequency oftentimes. So so what would you say your training setup and general volume amounts uh, differ from this kind of standard recommendations that we now tend to give? Yeah, sure. So I think one thing to kind of consider is context. I think context is huge. And um, just like my current situation, like at the moment where I'm at with my trainees that, uh, like I said earlier, I'm, I'm six weeks removed from a contest prep. Uh, so at the tail end of contest prep, you know, you're you're generally like, you know, in a fatigue state. So now that, uh, you know, my food level is, is quite a bit higher than it was, I'm putting um, some body fat and body weight back on, you know, I'm in a very good environment um, to really kind of, um, you know, get after it in, in the weight room and, and try to progress. And, um, you know, so my, my focus with my training at the moment has been to try to regain some of that strength that I lost, um, you know, over the course of that prep. Um, so, I've been really more focused on uh, a linear progression or trying to get my my uh, my loads worked up. Um, so that's kind of what my current training is focused on. And, you know, as far as like the recommendations, like, okay, how many, you know, hitting body parts twice a week, like I try to, to go after that for the most part. Um, I, and like you mentioned earlier, my volume is relatively lower in comparison to many people out there, but keep in mind the amount of volume that I'm, I'm doing at the moment, um, is where I need it to be. And I think that's what's the most important is that I've, you know, through the years have, have found the right dose um, to, to get myself to progress. And if it means, hey, I'm only doing like, you know, like for example, at the moment, I'm only doing three sets uh, of bicep work per week. That is it. Um, I touch it once per week. Um, you know, and let's say, you know, my next training block where, you know, it might not be load focus anymore because, you know, you know, everything has a ceiling, you know, in life, you know, and when we talk about training, there's always a ceiling. So I know the, the amount of loads I'm going to be able to lift is going to start to top out. So therefore, okay, how, how else am I going to progress? So probably the next block of training is going to be more, more catered to, Hey, let's see if we can maybe add some sets, sets on to, to get my volume. So, you know, my biceps might be five sets, six sets in the next training block per week. And that, that's a, you know, that's a, that's a big increase. You know, it's like a, a huge increase in, in bicep volume. It's not a huge increase in, in others people's training. Like that would be like very minimal, but for me, it's a huge increase. And I think, so it's important to, you know, just, you know, keep in mind that when we talk volume, you know, it's very individual as far as what people, you know, should be doing. And it takes time to kind of figure out where that volume kind of needs to be. So I try my best to, you know, have my training be as scientific as possible, but I also realized over the years through my own trial and error that, uh, you know, my, my volume, uh, requirements, um, you could just say, let's say I'm, I'm an outlier when it comes to, uh, what, what the general recommendations are. So I just think, again, I think a lot of trial and errors 
is important. And that's what I do when I work with uh, my own athletes is that, hey, I'm going to try and incorporate, you know, hey, what what Eric is saying, you know, this what the science is saying, what this research is saying. But it also has to be, you know, it has to match up to the person, too. And that takes time to figure it out. And I think trial and error is pretty important. And the bottom line, too, is like, OK, you know, is what we're doing, is it practical? You know, is it sustainable and is it enjoyable? And I think a, a big word is is sustainable. And I think when I think about training and I think about progress, the one thing that tends to derail most people's progress uh, is injury or aches and pains. It slows us down. And so it's not so much, um, I would say programming is, is really important. Don't get me wrong. But when it comes to progress, I think, you know, just staying healthy for the most part is, is, is probably a little higher up on the totem pole. Uh, just out of curiosity, are, are you still kind of getting tempted by shiny toys when you see something new popping up and Uh, get tempted to abandon what has been working well for you i mean probably not to the same extent as some of the people that are newer to the game would do it but uh is it something that you still fall for every once in a while oh yeah yeah i just listened to a, a really good podcast it was about managing you know training stress and there was there was some tidbits in there i'm like oh that sounds yeah maybe you know i can work that into my training so again i think having an open mind and and like Okay, yeah, maybe these things can it can enhance uh, my training or enhance my bodybuilding, but at the same time, you know, it's a double-edged sword. Like if you're, you know, if you're really impulsive, and I think you know, you you know, we're doing a podcast now, but we're now in the land of podcasts. Like there's so many out there, and there's so many great uh, minds out there doing them. That yeah, I mean, I could see how let's say a beginner or intermediate would hear you know the latest podcast, and you know. Like you said, there's like a, a lot of shiny new toys that, you know, you can be very impulsive. And this is something that, you know, when I work with, uh, you know, younger, younger bodybuilders um, that, uh, you know, they'll they, they are very impulsive. Like, uh, you know, this, it's pretty common that I'll have someone say, hey, I heard this podcast. What do you think about doing this? And I'm like, well, you know, that sounds great. Um, there might be a time that we can use that. But hey, right now, let's let's just do what we're doing right now. Let's collect data and see how you're responding to it. And then let's go ahead and make some changes based off of your own data that you've accumulated. Uh, so I think a lot of times we get, uh, yeah, we get these shiny new toys and, you know, we want to, you know, our impulse says, hey, let's try it. But I think um, in my opinion, and I think the reason why I've been pretty successful is I've been very consistent over the years. So I'm not someone who's overhauled my training. Like I don't program hop. Um, I really haven't done that at all over my career. It's like if I'm doing something and if I feel like, Hey, this maybe isn't working and I, and I have the data to, to see that it's not working, then it's like, okay, let me just change what's not working, not overhaul the entire program. So I think that's how I've been able to steadily progress over the years. And that's that's one issue I see with a lot of people is that they're just very, um, I guess, impatient, you can say, and very impulsive and easily influenced is probably another uh, another good word to probably use. Yeah. And speaking of that, is there something that you found to be working really well with your clients as a, as a coach through you know many years of coaching experience, which science doesn't necessarily say that it should be optimal or maybe it even says that it should be suboptimal but from your experience it just tends to work pretty damn well with people that's a that's an interesting question uh, i would say there's nothing that i incorporate into people's training where you would probably look at it and go oh, well that's so bro you know or that's like that's way off the cuff 
Um, so I would say that I, I don't really do much of that um, at times. I mean, depending on a person's uh, situation, it might, you know, because you know, right now it's like, okay, you know, training body parts two to three times per week is a little more optimal. I mean, there's times where I'm like, hey, you know, right now let's just, you know, train one time per week because, you know, hey, that's fitting your life schedule a little bit better. And so even if, let's say, it seems to be suboptimal, but over the long haul, if it if it means you're not in a, a more stressful environment, you know, let's say you're training each body part once per week for, you know, let's say a few months um, while your life situation is pretty stressful. I mean, that can make your training a lot better. Whereas someone who's trying to, let's say, force the training in or force, you know, hey, I'm tra trying to get each body part two or three times a week, even though I'm working 60 hours a week and, um, you know, I'm only getting four hours sleep a night. You know, that can be a very stressful environment and that can set people up for failure. You know, you, you may not progress all too well in the gym. You may not um, recover too well. You may be setting yourself up for injuries, aches and pains. Um, you know, because the environment is just really not a conducive one. So, so I think, I think again, I'm like a real huge, um, fan of individuality. Um, and that's kind of how I like to coach my athletes is I like to know their background, who they are and, you know, what their lifestyle is and try to cater the training around that versus the other way around. And I think most people who try to do it the other way around, they, they tend to struggle a bit, um, so hopefully that answers your question. But yeah, there's really nothing that's kind of crazy off the cuff, uh, per se. Yeah, and I actually heard uh, an interview with Alberto Nunez, your also your, one of your colleagues, and uh, he said that many intermediate lifters are inclined to be in the gym six days or so a week, and he just found that it for the vast majority of people it's just not necessary, and that four days a week seems to be the sweet spot for most people where they tend to get hurt less. They are just really well recovered all the time. So I'm, I'm curious, have you personally found something like that yourself? Because I certainly have. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I would have to uh, agree with my my good friend, Alberto. Um, I would say that uh, in general, like four to five times per week is kind of like that sweet spot for most people. And again, we have to remember that, uh, you know, yes, we're working with bodybuilders, but we're working with humans that have real lives that, you know, they work, they go to school, they have families. I mean, you know, there's, you know, we just, we're human. And I think, you know, if we're, you know, training six days a week for the gym, two, three hours a day, I mean, that, that's going to accumulate, you know, that, uh, that's going to accumulate. It's going to be hard to recover from. So not to say that, you know, I'm anti six day a week training, but I think, you know, it, it, it really depends. You have to have like a special person that can really tolerate that. Um, someone whose lifestyle can, can really kind of be catered towards that. Um, so I would say that, you know, nine times out of 10, you know, I'm programmed people with, with four and five day training splits. Um, and on occasion, you know, there might be someone who needs a three day training split, um, just because, you know, life is, is really, really, really busy. Um, but yeah, I would have to agree with Alberto that, uh, you know, the sweet spot tends to be that, that four to five days. And, um, I know we're in the age of volume right now, like right now, everybody's stressing volume. How do we get our, you know, finding ways to get more and more volume added. But I think what, what should be, you know, stressed just as much along with that volume is recovery. Um, and, you know, those rest days can be just as valuable, if not more valuable than, than your training days. Um, and that's basically what I did. Like for instance, yesterday, um, I was supposed to have a deadlift session, but I was feeling a little bit, a uh, little bit beat up from the, the training the day before. So I told myself, you know what, probably a good idea to just say, hey, let's chill, uh, take my wife out to dinner and then I'll come back on Saturday morning and get after it and do my deadlift session when I'm, you know, a little more recovered. So I think it's, like I said, it's, I think recovery is, is, is really, really important. 
what are your go-to strategies for mitigating training stress and managing fatigue these days? Because uh, there's obviously a lot of debate and intelligent discussion over this, and some people like to do it in a more preemptive manner and sort of plan ahead their deloads, and some people like to do it in a more reactive, kind of auto-regulated fashion. So how do you like to do it these days? Yeah, if we're talking about someone who is dieting um, and they're accumulating a lot of fatigue, then, of course, you know, I think the perspective we have to look at first is how can we avoid that in the first place? So the way I like to set things up when I'm, let's say, dieting, um, you know, a contest prepper who's someone who's going to be getting to the stage is that um, I want to make sure that, you know, the way I'm setting up their training, you know, it is incorporating scheduled uh, deloads. Um, and I like to do that, you know, four or five weeks. I don't like to like let accumulate really, really get to our fatigue accumulate and get to a place where that bodybuilder is telling me, hey, I'm feeling beat up. I'm like really beat up. I think I need a deload. I want to stay ahead of the curve with that. Um, and I'd say in general, like you know, every four to five weeks works pretty well for most people. Uh, but with that said, again, you have to take, you know, individuals, uh, individuality, um, you know, into, into context here. Like if someone's like, you know, feeling a little more beat up before that, Hey, let's take, let's take a deload sooner. Um, but rarely, you know, if someone says, Hey, I feel great. It's week four and five. I don't need this deload. I'm going to tell them, Hey, take it anyway, because I do want to stay ahead of that curve because I know what's to come. You know, when you're dieting and you're getting leaner and leaner and leaner, your recovery uh, may not be as good as it is in this current, you know, state, you know, it's going to end up probably deteriorating a little bit over time. And so, you know, managing, you know, the amount of training volume, managing the recovery um, is, is pretty huge when, you're, when we're talking about someone who's dieting, especially if it's long-term dieting. But yeah, I mean, so that, that would be my thought would be like, hey, let's let's make sure this person doesn't get to that place where, you know, they are complaining of, you know, a lot of fatigue. Um, so that would be my thought there um, in regards to someone who's dieting. Personally, just going back to those high intensity days, like if I would have known what I know now, like, okay, you don't need to take everything to failure to see progress. Um, I think that could have changed the game for me early on. I probably would have, um, like I said, I didn't really sustain too many injuries early on. I was kind of lucky, but I think I would have seen probably better progress earlier on. Like I probably would have seen, you know, in my twenties, much better, a much better physique. Um, you know, so I think, you know, that, that was a, is a huge one. But as far as like the, the things that I think should be stressed about longevity is not so much, Hey, you need to stretch more or, or whatever, you know, do your mobility work or anything like that. It's more about like the mindset, the approach, like the mindset is huge. And again, I think, you know, as bodybuilders, um, you know, with the bodybuilders I work with at least and the ones I see, you know, out there that are, you know, we're very competitive and we're very driven. And I think um, you have to have that fire to, to create progress, but it's also kind of a double-edged sword. So on one side of the sword, you need that fire. You need to be, you know, a hard worker. But if you if you're too much of a hard worker, meaning you're you're pushing too hard and for too long, then yeah, inevitably you're going to end up breaking. So it's definitely a double-edged sword. So I think the the approach, the mindset is that you know the way I like to kind of I like to use cars because it's they're easy for analogies. But you know if you're if you're driving your car and your RPMs are you know super high all the time, you know your your motor is going to be it's going to be getting hotter and hotter. It's going to start to overheat, and eventually, if the RPMs are are up too high for too long, that motor is going to break. So, um, I've learned that okay, you know, to keep my motor pretty pretty healthy, you know, I need to make sure that I'm you know I'm driving my car hard, but at the same time, I'm changing gears. You know, I'm changing to a lower gear, and I'm going to get good gas mileage that way, and I'm going to get a lot more life out of my car. So that's 
that's kind of my approach and mentality now with my training is that I still get after it. I still work hard, um, but I know I don't need to basically kill myself with every single workout. Like I just, you know, if I can get, you know, a little bit of like weight added to the bar over this month, uh, maybe over a couple months, then I know, okay, you know what? I'm going to be using, hey, 10 pounds more on my bench this month versus last month. That's going to accumulate over time. So your your volume is going to accumulate slowly over time, and you're going to make a pro going to make progress. And also the perspective, you know, you have to keep in mind that if if we're natural lifters, that you're you know you're this is a long game. Like you're you you can progress for years. And I think I'm a testament to that. Like you know, I started at the age of 14. Here I am. I'm almost 47 now, and still progressing. You know, albeit I'm not progressing as fast as I once did because I am getting older, but I'm still making progress. So it's definitely a long game. And I think a lot of younger lifters. You know, they only see the short game and they don't really realize that, hey, you know, you're going to make progress five years, 10 years, 15, 20 years down the line. And if you're going to make it that long, yeah, you need to make sure that the car you have, you know, you're taking care of it and you're not hammering it in and, and breaking it. So that's kind of I think the big thing is just, you know, the mindset, the approach and the philosophy, uh, you know, towards that long game is, is pretty valuable. Yeah, awesome. And um, with that, another question I definitely want to ask you is I heard you mention before that you want to use some of the skills that you've gained over this long dieting period to sort of let that carry over to your off season or your building phase. And obviously there's a lot of discussion over how much weight we should be gaining and uh, what's an appropriate rate of weight gain for an intermediate or an advanced lifter. But I'm curious, how do you plan to now modify your nutrition now that you're actually focusing on building up and, you know, making progress in the gym or, and not fat loss anymore? How do you actually plan to plant some of those skills that you've gained throughout dieting to your non-dieting phase? Sure. Yeah, I think um, we're at, again, context where I'm at now, you know, so so far into my career that, you know, venturing too far away from stage weight is uh, in a sense kind of counterproductive. Uh, but at the same time, I don't want to just say, hey, I'm an, I'm an older athlete, I'm a veteran, let me stay, you know, let's say 10 pounds over stage weight so I can stay lean for the stage in my off season. I know there's a, a better place for me it would be probably somewhere in the middle ground um, past history. I've always had a, a issue, I say behavior issue um, coming off of a prep. You know, you know, when you do, you know, let's say a 50 week prep, you know, there are certain behaviors that you acquire during those 50 weeks. You know, you're very hyper focused on a goal. You're very rigid. You're strict. And then once, uh, you know, the show is over with, the season's over with, the handcuffs come off and you're like, OK, I can I can eat again. You know, and so I've always kind of had a, a little bit of a struggle maintaining or I should say managing a, a good off season body weight. And I would venture a little too heavy. I would get anywhere between 30 to 35 pounds over my stage weight, um, which was, you know, the main reason why I would need to take a very long prep to get that body weight off. So I know that I don't want that to happen again now, um, especially being close to 47 years of age. I don't want to carry around 35 extra pounds. So middle ground, um, I'm really kind of aiming to stay anywhere between, you know, let's say, you know, no more, I should say no more than 25 pounds over my stage weight, um, which would be a victory for me. And you know, at the moment, I'm about, uh, I would say I'm probably about 17 pounds over my, my true stage weight, and I'm feeling really good. Um, and what's really nice is that, uh, you know, some of the behaviors that I learned over the last two years, because um, I, I, I did get to a fairly lean state, and I did manage that that body weight for a long period of time, like those behaviors that I learned to do that, um, it's carrying over now into my off season. So I know I can, you know, maintain, let's say the weight I'm at now or a little bit heavier than I am now 
I'm pretty confident I can I can hold on to that uh, pretty well now with the, with the new behaviors that I've ingrained. Yeah, and I would be curious that uh, someone who's been in the game for so long as you have, is there still some skill or some sort of method that you still would like to learn how to implement into your own lifestyle, training or nutrition, which you haven't done so far? So I don't know, not to give words into your mouth, but maybe learning to eat more, quote unquote, intuitively, where you don't track uh, maybe calories or macros, something like this, which you haven't learned so far as a as a practitioner or as a trainee, and you would still like to learn it. That's a good question, and the uh, the intuitive uh, eating, like I'm kind of with you on that. I'm not a fan of that word. Um, I think. When we talk intuitive eating, let's say, especially let's say in my case or someone else's case who's just coming off a contest prep, like the last thing I think uh, you'd want to do is say, "Hey, go ahead and intuitive eat," <laughs> especially when you've been deprived for so long. That can that can turn ugly really quick. Uh, but I think I think intuitive eating is is definitely I think a skill that you can acquire. Um, and again, I, I think it's it's context related. Um, now. I know what my food looks like. Like I, I've been tracking food for years, and so and I've been you know having my daily flow or my daily routine, uh, the same structure for a long time. So I know what you know my meals look like. I know what the amounts look like. So if I decided you know today, hey, you know what, I'm not going to track anything anymore, as long as I'm still doing my same routine, my same behaviors that I've been doing. I know I'm probably going to be perfectly fine. And again, that's because I have the experience with my routine and my structure. Now, someone who doesn't have that, uh, doesn't have a good structure, doesn't have routine, and they really don't know what they're taking in. I mean, yeah, they're going to like intuitive eating is going to be a lot more challenging. It's going to be a bigger struggle. So I think, again, like you mentioned earlier on in the podcast, like, you know, the the experience, it, 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 it has a way of really kind of curing a lot of insecurity or, or a lot of uncertainties. Um, so that's kind of my thoughts with that. Um, but yeah, I think as far as me learning new skills to that, I, maybe I, I need to learn or want to learn. I, I think there's probably quite a few that I still need to, um, to learn. And I would say there's probably some now that I need to keep, you know, fine tuning. Um, and I think the day that any of us decide that, Hey, there's nothing else to learn. I think that's where, um, you know, we're not going to really progress anymore. So, I, I mean, it's hard for me to think of like what I truly need to learn. I think, I think probably being a, a a little bit better, a little bit better at taking the time to to learn more of the latest research. Like I, I I'm guilty of like not really diving in a whole lot and and doing research. And, and of course we have you know of course Eric Helms to do that for us. Um, but I think you know I really need to kind of set aside some time to maybe do a little bit more of that because uh, I would say that I do rely a lot on my experience, and it's hard not to to do that. You know when you have over 30 years, it's like you know, it's hard not to like make that more of like, uh, you know, the driver as opposed to the new stuff that's coming out. But but yeah, I'd say that's probably one of the bigger ones. Awesome. Well, Jeff, I think you shared some really awesome knowledge in this podcast episode. So first of all, I want to thank you for being here. And um, my last question for you, I guess, is more so a philosophical one. And that is, if you could go back with a time machine and talk with your maybe 20 to 25 year old self, uh, obviously, you would talk to a guy who is very genetically gifted and has a great potential but um, looking back to all the things that you have done throughout your training career and some of the things that worked well and maybe some of the things that you have to cringe when you think back of those, uh, what would your piece of advice, number one piece of advice be for that guy that you would meet there? Two points. Two points. First one is to stay humble. 
because um, I was very ego-driven. I think uh, the amount of muscle that I developed at a young age uh, went straight to my head, and um, it really kind of um, created a, a bubble around me. Um, I thought I knew it all because I was, uh, you know, a little bit ahead of my peers when it comes to the muscle department. So I'd say always keep an open mind and be humble. You're going to learn a lot more by being humble. Uh, so that's number one. Um, the second one would be to, to, I would tell myself, hey, chase your passion. Because um, I was influenced um, to get into architectural drafting at a young age, and that's where I was encouraged to go to school. And my true passion was I wanted to be a PE teacher. Um, so long story short, it didn't. It took me all the way until my late 30s where I finally started to chase my passion, which is uh, which is bodybuilding. But I would have, if I could go back in time, I really would have loved to have, you know, taken the path of uh, becoming a PE teacher. Um, and so there was a, a lot of wasted time there. So you know, anybody who who tells you, hey, do something, but you're really not passionate about, I would say run the other way and truly do what you want to do in life. And uh, I think that's where happiness is. Awesome. That was great. And so just please let people know where they can find you and any kind of resources that you would like them to check out. Yeah, you just check out 3dmusclejourney.com and on Instagram, 3dmjgodfather. Uh, those are probably the two uh, best places to, to learn more. Jeff, thank you so much for taking the time. This was an absolute pleasure. Uh, you're more than welcome. I had a great time. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please leave a comment and subscribe if you watch this on YouTube. If you listen to this on iTunes, please leave a rating to help this stuff grow. SoundCloud and Podbeam, you can just follow me to be notified on future episodes. And to be a contributing member of this podcast, join the Sustainable Self-Development Facebook group where you can drop ideas about future podcasts. I very often ask my listeners for tips and advice on who to get on next. So if you're interested in getting into discussions like that, be sure to join the Facebook group. And if you don't want to go through the searching process, just click one of those links in the show notes slash video description. It is all there. All right. Thanks for hanging around up until now and see you next time.